0: Amen, amen, amen. So, this passage, do not love the world or the things in the world. How many of you cringed a little bit when you heard that? Do not love the world or the things in the world. How many of you love some things in the world? Yeah, it's all pretty good, eh? Eh? Australian, mate. Dingo babies. Um, Alligators. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. There's there's something here. John uses the word word world six times in this passage. World, the world. We're going to take some time to understand what is he really getting at. Because this is the same writer who wrote, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. So we're going to talk a little bit about that. John does not have, like, split personality. But this is one of those texts, and especially in a season of Lent. If you didn't know, we were in the season of Lent. This is a, a traditional uh, season within the life of the church. It's been going on for thousands of years where people, uh, or hundreds of years, where, where the church has come together. And looked at the 40 days in the wilderness or or taken a a season of great um, self-examination, often a lot of confession. It's just a season to recognize. In the same way after Easter, we recognize the resurrection and the new kingdom. Pentecost, if you're familiar with the scripture, we, we, we take time to emphasize the work of the Holy Spirit. Obviously, the Spirit's working all year round. During Lent, we take time and we focus on the inner journey. We focus on the false self. Where are the places in our life where we are hardwired for, for brokenness that, we, that God needs to, to work on and work through? So we come to a passage like this and if any of you have come up in anything remotely like a fundamentalist church or you, or you, you read how sometimes um, various media outlets will portray certain kinds of Christians or evangelicals, this this is the kind of text that people sometimes like end up bringing up. What's wrong is when you come to church, right, and a bunch of people tell you, like, don't watch Mad Men or you're going to go to hell. How many of you are like, shoot? Right? It becomes a list of, of here's, here's what you can't really like. Here's what you can't really l- love. That really anything that isn't, like, somehow baptized in Christian culture is is in some way inherently evil so I, I, I just mentioned that because I know that's not everyone and some of you don't, aren't disenfranchised Christians and you're actually wide eyed and just excited to study the word I always have to address the disenfranchised folks because they just they get all worked up I encourage you I encourage you to hear the love and the light and freedom of Christ speaking in to you as we address some of these things and Try not to zoom in on, okay, what is, is Andrew, Pastor Andrew the church trying to give me some like legalistic, here's what I can and cannot do as a Christian. This will all make sense in a little bit. Just want to encourage you in that. As we've been talking about, one of the major themes in the book of John is light, is light. And so uh, as Abraham Heschel says, the flames of heaven are likely hotter than the flames of hell. And what he's simply getting at is the, the pictures and scriptures we talked about last week of light coming into the world. When perfect generosity and perfect love and perfect freedom and perfect mercy and grace come to bear. If you're not aligned with those things, it's actually going to be really uncomfortable? If you are a racist and you come around the God who is like every tribe, tongue, nation come together. It's going to be, it may not be as heaven for you, it may be a bit of hell. You know what I'm saying? If we're stingy and and things-centric, if we have a lot of idolatry, we we place our own personal comforts and finances above everything else, our own protection and our own safety, and we come to the God who is just, who is generosity incarnate, right, the trinity, a community of self-giving oneness, it may not be heaven for you, it may kind of be hellish, and so that's the picture that when God comes to bear on a person's life, when the light comes in, it starts to shine a lot in all those places and those dark crevices, those nooks and crannies that, that we kind of hide. And we talked a lot about hiding last week and our sin. So I use that as we head into this next section to talk about okay, there's apparently some relationship between loving the world and Knowing the love of the Father and walking in it and loving the Father. And so we're gonna dive into that a bit. How many of you um were married young? I know we have a lot of single people in this church, but how many of you were married really young? Yeah, Pastor Rick. Alright. So there's something <laughs> No, just Pastor Rick. That's the only one. So there's there's something. So my there's a bit of a gap between my wife and I. So I kind of got married old and my wife got married young don't ask how far that gap is. So it was holy enough. So I would have been told from my friends who have been married young, and I kind of see this play out a lot of times if you've grown up in and around the church, there's a lot of getting married youngness. And what happens is uh, there's this joy, right, of you don't really get the like tension and and awkwardness of, like, the dating scene. Corey and I were in Boston yesterday, um, kind of getting a, one of these rare days where we just got to spend just the two of us together walking around the city. And we went, we ended the night uh, at this restaurant that was just the totally, it brought flashbacks back for both of us. I'm like, oh, yeah, remember when you were single and you go to, like, restaurant or bar late at night and you're, like, you're just constantly, like, checking yourself and you're, like, posturing and you're worried what everyone's thinking and you're, like, you're there to you know it's 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 this like mating different versions of adult mating calls that are basically going on right it's like human peacocks everywhere just like <laughs> all right it's like <laughs> this move you know is really just the good old fashioned like feathers up um we're just walking around watching all this tension there's something when you get married young you don't you don't get as much of that right there's a, there's, a, there's a blessing and a benefit to that. The thing that often doesn't happen, and this is really true of anyone who's been married at any time, is you don't you don't really realize how your relationships change. Your relationships fundamentally change with other people. Anyone have like some like rough stories about that? Like it was really hard for you. I know one couple here just had a really hard time. We were talking through it. Like i, I I'm still like. I'm still 22 and I still have 22 of our friends who weren't Christians but now like we're married and now it's like I don't they don't call me like they used to right or vice versa for me it's funny Adam's over here playing so Adam and I for a long time we would go to Trinity Brewhouse it's like one of the few places that serves food late at night and we would like work right like 9, 10, 11 o'clock just had nothing else to do we'd sit there and get things done and even when I was dating right I, you know I went we went home at 8 o'clock you know prayed for each other with her dad in front of us. And then I would go, and it's really holy. And then I'd go and hang out with Adam at Trinity Brew House. And uh, I realized that when we got married, I was talking to, to my wife about this. It's like, what were some of the things that changed? She was like, oh, well, first of all, just being like, hey, honey, can I, like, go see Adam and go work? Because I, I still love to do that. Luckily, my, my wife goes to bed at 10, 1030-ish. Uh, and so what I would do, I don't do this quite as much anymore now that we have uh, a child, but I would, I would go to bed with her, kiss her goodnight, and then, like, wait, wait. <laughs> she knew I was doing this. She knew I was doing this. She really did, most nights. And then, <laughs> and then I would go out, and then I would meet Adam, and then we would eat nachos and hang out. It's my little work affair. This is sounding really weird. Um... <laughs> But but the relationships fundamentally change. They fundamentally change with those around you. It's not just like checking in with your spouse, but like the things that you value, you're doing things together. Um, It it creates moments where dynamics that existed in one way no longer exist. There's there's a new... um, like kind of hierarchy of allegiance. That can be hard for best friends. Maybe you're, uh, you have a good friend who got married and you weren't married yet and you had a hard time understanding like, don't you love me anymore? Right? And you know that they do, but they don't really show it and it's because they're having sex. But, um, <laughs> no, but th- there's, a, there's, a, there's a change, a fundamental change in the relationship. Fundamental change. You have these moments when one relationship begins to frame another. Some of the relationship with my wife, right, it frames the other relationships. Sometimes it's hard for mothers to let go of their sons or fathers let go of their daughters just traditionally, right? There's like something in that that's like, oh, they're, they're married now. The fundamental relationship has changed, right, between me and my mom and my dad when I got married to Corey. There's a different a, a, a hierarchy. They, They begin to, maybe hierarchy is a bad way to say it, but it's basically like they begin to frame differently. So John, in this passage, is explaining how this relationship with Jesus, how you've received this forgiveness. And John is saying this friendship with Jesus is going to forever change your relationship with the world. It's going to just shift how you see everything else. There's going to be a moment of distinction and change how you think about embracing culture or how I live in my neighborhood or my my hobbies. When my allegiance changes, when I say, actually, what I believe is most true about the world is what God says about me, that I've been loved, forgiven, and set free. It's why people have a hard time when they look at Christian culture and they go, you don't look anything like Jesus. It's oftentimes a culture, a church or a person or individuals in a, Ability to like really grow in the reality that they, their relationship should have fundamentally changed. I've said this before, I think so much of the outside world wants the church, like more than ever, like deep down, want them to be what they say they are. They want, they actually want that to be people who love their enemies, who are abounding in patience and generosity, who are open about their own hypocrisy. Right, who are real about the fact when they actually mess up and they're owning this and they're... because their fundamental relationship has changed from needing to please others or needing to jockey for a position. And it's changed. And so this affects how we even not just how we relate to others, but how we view things. Right. This is why well, this is one of those passages that often gets used to talk about like what T V you should watch and shouldn't watch, and what music you should listen to and shouldn't listen to. And we'll get to that in a moment. I have a list for you. It's actually in your bullets and just Burn your CDs tomorrow. There's new boundaries, new definitions, and new expressions happen when one relationship begins to frame up another one. So, everything from this point in the letter has been about loving God, loving God, loving God, love one another, love one another, love one another. If you've been tracking along with this book, uh, for those of you who studied in home group last week, right? It's so much. All the focus. God, this is the book that says God is love. The little blessing I read at the end of the dedication, you've been lavished in God's love. This is all from this writer. And so this is John at the end of his life looking in on a church that, that kind of wants to like graduate from just, okay, yeah, I get it, God loves me and God's forgiven me. And, 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 and so what other things am I supposed to, to do? And what they're, they're actually, they don't want much to do with the physical with the fact that Jesus, many have speculated that Jesus really is the son of God, that he's supposed to be king of my, my heart, my life, that he's going to shape everything else. It's this, okay, I agree mentally with this idea, and I'm going to go live however I want to live. It's a very simplified version, but that's in some ways what John is writing to them about. And so everything has been pro, for, love God, love your neighbor, and now we get to do not love the world. Is there any question in this passage that John is like, not being clear and concise. Like, this is lucid. Think of John, like, sitting there in his rocking chair, being, like, pulling no punches. You get these lines from him, like, don't do it. You don't really know the love of the Father, and then thus you don't really love him if you actually place the world, again, which we'll get to in a moment, over that. John's motive are direct. And here's the thing. It's not about producing fear, of the world, because later he will tell us the problem with the world is that it cannot deliver. The problem with the world is that it cannot deliver. It will leave you fragmented and dissatisfied. You will ultimately be left wanting. John is saying the world apart from Jesus is in some way an illusion. This gets back to why we called this series Exposure. It's like it's, it, it, there's some, when we're living as if Jesus is not on the throne, When we're living apart from the way of Jesus, John is simply posturing like, I think you're actually missing out on reality, things as they are, and you're not letting the full force of the light of what is true about the whole world actually impact you. John is being direct here. So this world, this word world, we're not supposed to love the world. This word is the word cosmos. Can you say cosmos? cosmos, that's where we get cosmetics, for, no, I was kidding, can mean literally the earth, like the physical things. But in reality, and this is how, uh, as you read through, again, scholars from the sort of conservative to liberal uh, kind of spectrum, and what you see in the surrounding text is world is often referred to in basically worldview. Throughout scripture, there's the pictures of when the, the cosmos is framed up inside of looking at actions. It's not about, John is not saying the physical stuff. John, this is not an invitation to hate avocados. This is not an invitation to hate spaghetti and meat sauce. I miss spaghetti and meat sauce. It's not an invitation to hate music. It's not an invitation to, this isn't like John being like all that art in the world. Hate it. It's all passing away anyway. What he's saying is there is a way of looking at the world. The the vantage point of the world and the world alone separate from the father is idolatry. It's an illusion. The world is an outlook or an attitude that is absent and removed from God. Uh, The scholar N.T. Wright puts it like this. The command not to love the world refers refers not to the physical stuff of this world but to the world as it is in rebellion against God. The world as the combination of things that draw us away from God. The world is the combination of things that draw us away from God. It's when the good things of the created matter become an ultimate thing. This is where idolatry comes from. Anything that we would place above the love of the Father then creates a place of idolatry and it it, This writer is arguing, and I would humbly submit to you, that it actually takes really good and beautiful things, and it makes them ultimate things. It takes really good and beautiful things like working hard, like career, like family, like being safe and responsible, like chasing after whatever it is, fame, money, success, all these things that can have unbelievably beautiful and powerful elements of truth and makes them ultimate things. Makes them ultimate things. There's a book, uh, M. Scott Peck uh, wrote a book called People of the Lie. He's the the person who wrote The Road Less Traveled. And he talks, he's a psychologist amongst other things, and he's discussing how normally in the world of psychology, Uh, people's brokenness is is some sort of, you know, malfunction, dysfunction that's happening in their life. They're failing to see this truth, this thing happened to them, and thus, um, this is why they're responding. So it traces everything back to a primary dysfunction or thing of brokenness. And he goes, that's largely true. And then I started to realize the deeper I went into my practice, and this is the premise of the book. Again, the, the, the title is pretty strong, People of the Lie. He said the one word that you're not allowed to use in modern day psychology is the E word. That word is evil. Like there's not some like disconnected thing that's sort of larger than the sum of its parts. And he said the more and more and more I I, I studied patient after patient, I looked into the reality of what was happening, the more I realized that there's something that happens where it's not just I'm choosing this, the patient's choosing this awful thing because this thing happened to them. Or there was this dysfunction in their upbringing that reproduced this action. That that something larger than the sum of the things that happened to them begins to take force and they begin to believe a a lie about who they are. They begin to step into a way of seeing the world that is so, my words, not his, just destructive and jacked up. This is essentially the story in our, in, uh, of Christians of our stand-ins for man and woman of Adam and Eve. This is the beginning of the scriptures. This is the story of we choose death instead of life all the time. And the, the initial lie is, yeah, you can be like God. You, you can't really trust God that he's gonna take care of you. You can't really trust God The Father's blessing on you. This is the temptation put before Adam. If You can't really trust that. You can't trust that. And so the temptation is choose to see the world in a different way. Choose to not trust the Father. Choose to make your own way. Choose to put the things of the world. You put yourself into a place of control. And as we all know, well, maybe not all of us, for me, this was something that really happened when I turned 30 was, oh, oh, I really, like, I knew there was, like, an illusion that I of control. Like, I knew, wicked, we really you know, don't have much control. And then you feel it, like, when you have a child or you feel it when all of a sudden you see people around you, like, dropping off. And you feel it when you realize so much of even where you are has so little to do with you. And it's this trust that actually there's something larger at play. This is the, the lie. If you love the lie of the world, then you'll begin to relate, John is saying, to all your stuff differently. You'll begin to relate to everything around you differently. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. God is shaping your perspective. You will see your car. You will see your stuff. You will think through the things that you're putting into your brain differently if you trust God versus not. If you have a view of the world that that first and foremost, I am a loved child of God, that God actually desires and has his, his, his will made known in my life is actually the best possible way to live, that he has come to give abundant life and life to the full. This, to trust this, means I begin to look at the good things differently. That's why some folks often are like, you can't, really have a, you can't really have a nice car if you're a Christian. I understand the heart behind that, right, is, is one of, you should be somebody who's thinking wisely with your money. Right, you, you're somebody who's, who should be giving more. And I, so I understand that. And then there's often someone who, like, at least in our community, maybe this is different from where you came from. You know, if you ride your bike to church, you don't even have a car, you don't even have a TV, you must really be being faithful to Jesus. Anyone know what I'm talking about? God, no one wants to admit that stuff. But right deep down, you're like, oh, that dude who comes in, he, like, is totally, you know. I mean, he, granted, that same person who's biking is also buying, like, ridiculous food from Whole Foods. But... In other words, we tend to place external things. And what really is happening here is John being like, look, 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 you can have the same kind of idolatry and brokenness with a really simplified lifestyle. Right? Greed, placing um, worldly things above running them through the lens of the father, that, that can happen whether you have a lot of money or no money. Greed is not specific to the rich and or to the poor it's not so the, the, with John in terms of this silly car analogy right it's just simply like do I see that car as God's I would willing at the drop of a hat to give it away maybe I, I, there is a reason I've actually thought through the reason why I purchased that thing in the way that I did there's a way in which I filter the lens through I had some friends who fasted from listening to Kanye recently follow me Some of you like, they were Christians and they listened to Kanye in the first place? And this is like a funny practice. I have some other folks that fasted from alcohol recently. Like no drink, no wine, or anything like that. Part of fasting in the season of Lent, right, is examining. I want to make sure that the temporal things, the things that are, are good, that could be good gifts from God. Not that every one of Kanye's lyrics are really good gifts from God. There's a lot of like beauty in the music somewhere in there is that these things become ultimate things. I wanna make sure that that thing doesn't have a grip on me. I wanna make sure I don't need like Netflix binges. I wanna make sure I don't actually need that amount of money in my bank account, so I'm actually gonna like make a large withdrawal and give this privately. I wanna make sure that I'm doing things not just for other people's approval, so I'm gonna to begin to like make sure I'm practicing the, the art of secrecy and making sure that I know and I'm keeping myself in check that my allegiance is first and foremost to the Father. I'm going to make sure I'm going to jump off social media. A lot of folks write for lenders fasting from social media. Why are we doing that? Part of the reason we're doing that is time <laughs> for some of us. But the other reason is like I need to remember that my worth does not come from how many likes I get in a photo. Like the point isn't that the thing itself is evil. It's when we make temporal things ultimate things. We use the spectrum uh, often when I'm talking with people. Certain things in the world need to be received. They're good gifts, common grace, gifts of science or literature. They're just good things. Some things need to be rejected. Pornography needs to be rejected. There is absolutely nothing good here. And then there are some things that need to be redeemed. And as people who are supposed to embody the ministry of reconciliation and be renewers of the world, then we begin to ask difficult questions about uh, taking back what belongs to God. C.S. Lewis said, the devil never invented a pleasure. Never. There's nothing that, that... the evil has made it's all good. God made the whole world good. He said it was good. And it is our constant choices and the reality of evil around us that begins to jack this stuff up. And our job as Christians within our own life is to take back what belongs to God. And when we look at our personal life and what we're filtering through, when we say, I I actually don't want any allegiance to the world, my allegiance is to Jesus, which means I'm beginning to filter what I'm putting into my head, what's coming out of my mouth, what I'm doing with my finances, what I'm doing with my family, I'm looking at the budget of my time, and I'm asking questions about, am I loving the Father here? Am I loving the Father here, or is my allegiance elsewhere? John is saying, don't build your outlook on random, fleeting ideas. Don't build your outlook. Be careful not to build your life, even though I know you would say, money can't buy me love. I know we all agree, but be careful that you're not subtly actually doing that. Be careful that you haven't even made an idol out of love itself. That first and foremost, I go, God, thank you for who you have made me to be, what you have done toward me, and I want to trust you in this. And I'm going to gather some people around because I'm not sure what to do about this situation. I'm not sure what to do with this stuff. I have this like, whole area of like brokenness and addiction. I need to invite God into that because I feel like I love the world a little bit too much over here. I want to be free of that. I want to be free of needing to compare. I want to be free of this anxiety that is constantly like creeping around every door. I want my relationship with my wife to change how I see every other relationship because I've made it a commitment and a covenant here that this is the most important thing here on earth. The same thing on a much bigger and more important level is what we're talking about, what John's talking about here. My my love, let's let's talk about this. My love for you and God's love for me. John shifts here and he begins to talk about, um, about the love of the Father. He says, love of the Father. If the world is an attitude removed from God where the love of the Father is not there, if the reality and the understanding of God's love is not present, And so we fall in love with concepts that are absent of his involvement. We buy into what is fake and hollow and can't deliver. It isolates us. So it's interesting that John shifts in this part of the passage from saying God to saying Father. He delineates the love of the Father. This will be painful for those of you who have difficult experiences with Father. The difficult experiences, understanding or thinking through what, how to make sense of parenting and roles and gender and all of that. But there is something traditionally, it's important that we understand the context this is being spoken out of. The father's the one who gives you your identity. And some of us, we know that's really hard because it's like, I actually know what it is to not have a father, to not have a figure in my life who's actually speaking love and blessing over me because I didn't have that. But I I think, and we're going to see this in a minute, where I think John is intentionally shifting to the, the love of the Father, the one who gives you your identity, the one where your security is found. We all know the absence of a dad has unbelievable impact on the psychology of a kid. It's like study after study after study after study. If you don't experience the security, you spend your whole life wanting and wanting and wanting, and there's, there's a drive that gets jacked up where right? we see this in people all the time. This same passage, I don't often do this, but I'd love you to, I don't have it on the screen, but if you wanna just listen or if you wanna follow along, the, the same passage in the message, Eugene Peterson actually pulls this out in a powerful way. Don't love, this is in verse 15, don't love the world's ways, don't love the world's goods, Love of the world squeezes out love for the Father. Practically everything that goes on in the world, wanting your own way, wanting everything for yourself, wanting to appear more important, has nothing to do with the Father. It just isolates you from Him. The world and all its wanting, wanting, wanting is on the way out. But whoever does what God wants is set for eternity. I love that. Are we spending our days wanting, 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 or resting in Jesus? Resting in Jesus. John, he calls himself like the beloved of Jesus. He spends a lot of time with Jesus. He's in the inner circle. And there's this one story in Matthew 17 where John is with Jesus on this mountaintop, and we we hear this. They go up, and the, the God, in this mysterious like moment, begins speaking. While he was still speaking, a bright cloud covered them, and a voice from the cloud said to Jesus, this is my son whom I love, and with him I am well pleased. Listen to him. John, with Jesus, has this epic moment where he hears the blessing. And this is actually a blessing that, that comes Earlier, So this is in front of John and a few others, Peter and James, who are all there. And they hear the Father tell the Son, you are my Son, who I am well pleased. Now, before Jesus' ministry ever starts, if you turn with me to Matthew 3, you get this same thing. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he hasn't done anything. Nothing. Jesus, Savior of the world, we don't, know any, we don't have any idea of what he has done. He has not accomplished some great feat. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son, whom I am well pleased. Before anything is done, blessing. I love you. You're mine. I love you. You are given and set free. Live in that. Start there. Default there. Every time you get jacked up and you make a mistake and you walk away and you choose hate or you choose selfishness or you choose what, come back to me. I love you. You are my son who I'm well pleased. He hasn't done anything yet. This same blessing. John hears this blessing given over him. John has spent years walking with Jesus. How cool is this? John has spent years watching Jesus, the great non-anxious presence. You ever walk with someone who's just like not anxious? They really don't seem to care what anyone thinks about them in like a good way? Anyone know anyone like that? Not an arrogant way, like I don't really care what anyone thinks about me. Right? Not that guy, because that guy actually really cares. He's just got it so buried down. Anyone know anyone like this? They walk in like a quiet confidence. They walk in a way that looks a little bit like Jesus. Jesus has multiple moments where it's like the disciples are like, Jesus, you've got to do this thing, you've got to heal. Like, no that's not the right thing God's not calling me to do that he walks in a certain death. Jesus why would you go to your death? you're supposed to be in the mess of... no no, no I, I have some things I know I need to do I, I know the father loves me and he's inviting me to do some things he goes and he why are you talking with the why are you talking with her you're not supposed to do this in like the middle of the day and everybody can see I, I, this is what I'm supposed to do I actually don't care what anyone else thinks this is the right thing to do I'm going to walk in love This is what Jesus does. And John has got a front row seat to this. So when he turns around and writes this letter and goes, you can't, you can't put the things of the world, the things that are fleeting and falling away, that are just causing more wanting, wanting, wanting. You can't buy yourself out of it. All of it comes to the rest in the Father. Are you resting in the Father? You found your approval that the Father is enough this goes right back to the lie of Eve. We can't be people of the lie. Adam and Eve, fathers, the, the lie is the father's holding out on you. The lie for these first people, right, that's true about us. This is why the story of Adam and Eve is true, right? It's, 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 this isn't about the historic, historicity of this. Is that it's still true about who we are. What if he doesn't take care of me? What will happen if? I got to make sure I got some people who have my back. This is not what John witnessed. See, he's okay with being misunderstood. He's generous and grateful and a reminder over and over and over that the stuff of life will not fulfill you. They will not fulfill you. Get around other people. Let the spirit of Jesus convict and, 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 and begin to shine a light to expose the places in your life where your love of the world is trumping the love of the Father. Let's encourage one another to want what God wants. Where in your life do you need to pray that prayer? God, I want to know what you want for this. I want to be open. I want to walk in more confidence in who you say than I am. Let me pray for you for a minute. God, I... uh, I ask for for my my brothers and sisters here who who are intrigued by the way of Jesus, maybe who've been walking with Jesus for a long time. They they would say they trust in your grace and your love. And yet there are places where uh, it's really easy to not kind of almost leave it on the shelf and say, I'm not gonna let you into that. I'm not gonna surrender that that's too comfortable give it time there's not a, a an energy and a drive in seeking more and more after the truth of how you see us and allowing you to make us whole that we could step more into reality and away from from this these false selves that we cook up i pray in this moment that you would just reveal see, even just, even just one place like, all of a sudden, the blind spot wouldn't be blind anymore. Or maybe something that's been shoved, like, way deep down. You just reveal it in the quietness of this moment. The thing that you need to shine a light on, a place where we love the world more than, more than you, where we've made a, a good thing, an ultimate thing. We've made a good gift, an idol. Would you reveal that in this moment, Friend of mine, and they were describing some of their home life when they were really young. And they said, um, I, uh, even when I was home, like like sitting on mom's lap, on the family couch, smelling all the familiar smells, even when we were home, I never really felt that, at all, like, fully. At home. It's one of those moments where you try to say something and you're like, I know this doesn't really make sense, but but, but I, I don't know how else to articulate it. I just felt, I, I, felt, I just didn't feel at home, like fully home yet. And it was my friend's diagnosis, and I think, I think she's accurate, is that actually it's this longing of those moments when you realize how even the best things here can't ultimately replace the rest and security and purposes found in the Father found in God that even in moments that, that should be a, an image pointing to the greater home and security we have in God there's, there's something about not feeling fully at home and I say that in that when you see in scripture you see things like the world is not our home it's not talking about like heaven. Heaven, we know, is going to be a reconciled and renewed earth. It's not saying we shouldn't care about the things here. It's saying what is ultimate and what will better help shape everything we do here is if we are connected with the Father. So, if you're here and you're like, Andrew, I'd really actually like to follow Jesus, I want to believe he is who you say he is. I want to trust the stuff that John's saying, that the reality is actually found in him. I want to say yes to grace. I want to trust, not just that the God of the universe like, wants to give me a big hug, but like the who I am, like who I ultimately am before anything else is, is, is a child of God and that there are purposes and plans and an abundant life for me. Something is moving in me that doesn't totally make sense in my head, but it makes sense in my heart. I want to pray for you in this moment. So if you're not in that place, just come, just pray alongside me. Pray for the people next to you. God, um, yeah, for those who, this is a moment for them. they are hearing all of this and they go, I, I, God, God's doing something in me that's causing me to, to, to repent, to, to turn back to join with God in the renewal of all things, to join with you, Father, to to trust what you say about us, to engage, to take hold of, to trust what's already been done for me while I was still a sinner. You died for us. Maybe in this moment, just really quick, just like throw your hand up and like say yes and put right back down. Just like, I want to follow Jesus. I believe he is who he says he is. Just like row your hand up. Like say, yes, this is the moment. I want to do that. I want to begin that journey today. God loves you that you'll never be the same again to receive the forgiveness offered from God to receive the life of heaven. Just say yes. Lord Jesus, these lyrics that we're about to pray together taste of the world see more than enough and its promises are fleeting found myself wanting God we know that in you there is a well that never runs dry the promise of life the love of the Father So in your name, in your name, Lord, we pray this.